Today, we have an incredible conversation with a comrade in arms and in the struggle to enlighten the world, Corey DeVoe. First part, great explanation for all of us what Integral is, and the Dialogos is alive and well in this conversation. I think you're going to love it. I was blown away. Welcome to Deep Transformation, Self, Society, Spirit. Life-enhancing, paradigm-rattling conversations with cutting-edge thinkers, contemplatives, and activists with Dr. Roger Walsh and John Dupuy. Join us in the evolutionary fast lane as we take a deep dive into transformational practice, peak experience, profound understanding, powerful contribution. I'm John Dupuy, and that is my esteemed colleague, brother, friend, Dr. Roger Walsh. And there is an equally esteemed friend, too, Corey Duvall. And let me say a little bit about Corey, and there's a lot I could say, because anyway, this is going to be really interesting today. I met Corey minimum about 15 years ago when I first got to Boulder, and the, the nascent integral movement with Ken Wilber was was just sprouting many leaves and branches. And Corey was this brilliant, beautiful young man. 20 years later, you're still a brilliant, beautiful young man. So way to go, friend. And Corey has kind of been at the the heart, not kind of, but at the heart and center of Integral Life, which is the organization that chiefly revolves around Ken Wilbur and his work and what he's put into the world. So Corey has, he's a content maker. He's he's a businessman. He's just, he's an integral God, if you will, he does a, wears a lot of hats and gets a lot of things done. And it's just have a beautiful, deep, sparkling mind, Corey. And we just want to have a conversation with you and put you out. You're often doing what I'm doing is interviewing and talking to people now, but this is time that you're, you've switched the seat and we just want to got questions for you and anything. If I miss anything you'd like to include, please. No, I think you nailed it. Thank you so much. It was a very generous. <laughs> introduction. And I just want to say, I'm, I'm so happy to be here. I've known the both of you for you know a really long time now. And as I said to you, when we we're talking earlier, you are just two of my absolute favorite people in this world. So it's just a, a privilege and an honor to be able to spend some time with y'all. Beautiful. Yeah. And Corey, you've been at the heart of the integral movement for some time, and there's so much we can get into here. But Perhaps it might be helpful just to start with a big picture context and say that, in, just say a little bit about what integral is, because not all our listeners will be completely familiar with it. And for me, one of the things that stands out is that integral is part of a an emerging movement, and that is the emergence of what's called meta theory, the an in, encompassing intellectual frameworks which which integrate, bring together multiple different theories and perspectives and, and views on, on human knowledge. And so could you maybe say something about what you see, what you've seen? You are at the heart of integral, you've all, but you've also extended beyond it. You've, you've seen the emergence of these, emergence of these different movements and integral's role in it. So that's a very broad question, but would you like to just play with that? Yeah, for sure. And, and, I love the question because I think it, it sort of invites us to so kind of foreground how there's something about integral that I think is simultaneously really extraordinary and also completely ordinary. And, you know, by that, I mean, 
you know, so let me let me back up first and just say what we mean by the word integral. It can mean a couple different things. More most generally, integral is describing a stage of development that human beings can grow through as you know as as sort of part of their personal development and it's a very open stage you know so when we talk about stages of development we'll talk about things like the traditional stage of development the modern stage of development the postmodern stage of development and then the integral stage of development so in one sense it's just sort of describing a wide open territory of human development that Ken Wilber has really you know spent his career uh, focusing on and unpacking and creating all sorts of really wonderful maps for the rest of us, as well as sort of more, you know, I would say I, I often describe them as integrally adjacent communities such as metamodernism and critical realism. And there's been, you know, a few sort of intellectual, philosophical, theoretical projects within sort of this emerging space. So on the one side, it's it's describing the space as a whole. On the other, it's actually describing Ken Wilber's work in particular. Again, Ken has devoted his entire life to trying to, you know, create this comprehensive map of reality that really, really comes alive for us once we ourselves have reached that integral stage. He's creating maps for this big wide open territory which really until you know somewhat recently has been for the most part unexplored simply because there haven't been many people alive inhabiting yet but here we are at this point in history where i think the space is beginning to open up in you know really dramatic and rapid ways and it's really cool being at a place like Integral Life and, and being able to witness sort of all the different evolutions and mutations and permutations of this sort of lineage. And I do very much hold Integral as, you know, a lineage in and of itself. And I think one of the things that, you know, makes Integral sort of ordinary in a sense is, you know, it's a stage of development that emerges exactly the same way that previous stages have emerged, right? Which is, you know, basically, changing life conditions. Something in our environment changes and that forces new adaptations. This is basically how evolution has always worked, whether it's a sudden change in the environment or these sort of incremental changes that culminate over time. And, you know, I think one of the things that commonly happens throughout all of evolution, whether we're talking biological evolution or social evolution or what have you, is that these new adaptations then in turn begin to reshape the environment. So you have this kind of feedback loop between the individual and all of the various ecologies that they happen to be plugged into, whether, again, that's the biosphere, the environment itself, or it's these mental ecologies or spiritual ecologies and so forth. There's something about the environment shifts, it forces an adaptation, we adapt, and that in turn influences and reshapes the environments that we find ourselves in. So in that sense, it's very ordinary. And I think that you know, we're now reaching sort of a point where our shared environment is forcing a new kind of evolution, which is really just, again, the next in a long series or a long sequence of developmental movements that began pretty much as soon as our species showed up in this planet. I think we've reached a point in our history where the scale and the scope of our global challenges have become so huge and so complicated and tangled that, you know, and so urgent, really, that anything short of the kind of comprehensive approaches that Integral offers, anything short of that kind of has a way of, 
you know, sometimes making things a little bit worse. And I think that this is one of the things, you know, going from sort of integral is in many ways very ordinary. I think some of the extraordinary aspects of integral is that whereas previous stages of development tended to grow kind of out of the excesses of the previous stages, right? Like the modern stage really grew out of the excesses and the abuses of the mythic literal mythic traditional stage and postmodern in turn grew out of the excesses and the pathologies of the modern stage. Integral is doing a little something a little bit different. I mean, yes, it is kind of growing out of the excesses of the postmodern stage, but it's also doing something I think a little bit different too, which is, you know, the, the sorts of life conditions that I think are calling integral into being right now isn't only coming from that postmodern stage. It's actually coming from this kind of collapse that I think we're seeing of really all of the developmental stages that precede integral. You know, it seems like there's sort of, you know, we often talk about the spiral of development that kind of, you know, leads to integral in a certain kind of way. And feels like that spiral is kind of at war with itself. <laughs> you know what I mean? We have traditional views gnashing at modern views, gnashing at postmodern views, and it just creates this massive chaos and confusion and really is just kind of perpetuating suffering in the world. And in a lot of ways, I've come to regard integral as, you know, almost an antidote to that. You know, if 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 we can look at sort of modern society as having, you know, I almost like to use the metaphor of it's like we have an autoimmune disease, right? Like our body is attacking itself. And if if we allow that to go too far, our, you know, sort of the collective organism suffers as a result. And in so many ways, I I continue to regard integral as some much needed medicine for, you know, the kind of tensions and challenges that we're facing as a society. Because again, these these challenges and tensions are now global, right? They're beyond the scope of any local community or or nation state or what have you to address. I mean, it really does require these comprehensive solutions that I think are illuminated by, you know, work such as Ken Wilbur's. You know, I think Ken is showing us where we want to be paying attention and sort of where our blind spots historically have been and how to sort of reintegrate all of these conflicting pieces into something that resembles a new whole. And I, you know, I find that absolutely extraordinary. You know, it often has me thinking about just like, you know, what is what is our place in history? What is Integral's place in history? I think this is especially relevant. We just had a What's the Future conference, which unfortunately I couldn't attend in, in Sedona, but you guys did. And by all accounts, it was a wonderful event. And I think it surfaces a question that many of us in the Integral project are constantly asking ourselves, which is, you know, what is the future? What's the future of Integral? And how does Integral fit into history, right? And I think that in that sense, it's, it's, it's not wise to think of integral, you know, it is a developmental stage and we can talk about it as a stage that comes a little bit later in sort of the developmental sequence. But one of the things that separates the integral stage from all the previous stage stages is that it is the first stage that knows it's a stage. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So it's trying to transcend and include all of the stages that came previously, but it knows that itself will also be transcended and included in the future. So I think that, you know, when I think about sort of the shape of history and how integral think, you know, fits into it, one of the images that comes to my mind is the overall timeline of the human species. 
And what's remarkable to me is that when we look at the average lifespan of a species on this planet, particularly mammals, it's usually about a million years, right? Sometimes as much as 10 million years. Species tend to stick around for a while. Interestingly, we've only been here for a few hundred thousand years, and we could make the argument that we didn't really get very interesting (laughs) until a couple dozen thousand years ago. So when I think about sort of the path that brought our species to this point in history we're sitting in right now, and then looking ahead to the path that's in front of us, it becomes clear that there's a lot more road ahead of us than there is behind us, that the vast majority of human beings who will ever have existed will be born in the future, right? And that to me is a source of optimism and inspiration because it's like, I want my work here at Integral Life and in my art and in my relationships and my friendships, et cetera. I want that work to be as much in service to these future human beings, right? As it is to the people who are here now and exist in this world today and are suffering. So that's that's sort of one of the, the views of history that helps me sort of figure out, you know, where exactly does integral fit in? And when I take that view, what I like about it is I can, can't think of integral as being sort of a capstone or an omega point for the species or anything silly like that. If anything, it's a gateway between these two massive phases, I think, of human history, where it's it's sort of the gateway between, you know, almost an adolescent phase of our of our collective development and hopefully is bringing us, swinging us into this new phase, a much more integrated phase where we can begin to congeal as a global species and begin to address the very problems that I think are just, you know, over most people's heads today. When we talk about things like climate change and gun control and even things like race and racism, These problems are so incredibly complex and, again, just tangled. And Integral, for me, has been the very best way of kind of untangling that knot so that hopefully all of this work can be in service to the reduction of suffering for people, both today and in the future, all around the world. So that's, I don't know if that exactly answers your question, but that's that's sort of what comes to mind. That was a heck of an opening statement, Corey. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think it answers the question and a few others along the way. And there was so much in what you said. I just want to try to summarize a few key points. And the question was about the emergence of integral and how you and this encompassing field of meta theory, the integration of different theories. You mentioned a couple of stimuli for that. One was that integral particularly speaks to a particular developmental. F- stage which is of uh, development which is coming online at this time and also you mentioned it, it's a response to the sheer enormity of the, and complexity of the challenges we're facing and i would also i think that's a great summary and i'd also just point to the fact that one of the issues of our time is also the fragmentation of knowledge 100%. we have an incredibly dramatically accelerating rate of knowledge increase and the usual way that we people respond to that is by getting more and more specialized. And as the, as the saying goes, knowing more and more about less and less. And, and integral is an attempt, a much needed attempt to be, provide a, an encompassing framework, That's right. which can hold multiple disciplines and perspectives and developmental stages 
and aspects of our being and personhood, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and and hold them and cohere them in a meaningful synthesis and framework. And that seems a, a very important additional perspective just to bring to mind here. That's uh, so beautifully said, Roger. I, you know, there's 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 a phrase we often use in integral parts, one of Ken's phrases, which is everyone is right. And I think there's something like tremendously liberating just about, you know, using that as a basic sort of operating premise for us to do our work with. Everyone is right. Now, the flip side of that, by the way, is everyone is also kind of wrong, right? <laughs> or at least everyone is is a little bit partial, including myself, including Ken, including, you know, we all sort of have our our various biases and blind spots. But I think the idea is that if we can all sort of agree on a vision that, you know, isn't just sort of this abstract kind of, you know, ideal of what the world should be, but is actually sort of grounded in methodology. This is one of Ken's, I think, this is part of Ken's brilliance is that he gave us this model that is deeply methodological, right? I mean, for every claim that Ken is making in his work, he's saying, you know, this is all, there is a methodology available to disclose this this data, this kind of data, whether you're talking about you know, spiritual awakening, or you're talking about systems theory, or you're talking about biological evolution, or, you know, sort of goings on of culture and the culture wars and all that. If we want to know something, you have to do something. If Galileo wants to know how many moons are around Jupiter, he's got to look through the telescope. And I think what Ken's credit, he gave us a whole assortment of telescopes and microscopes (laughs) to enact our reality through. And it's all grounded right? And sort of verifiable methodologies that allow us to demonstrate for us. In other words, this isn't belief-based stuff. There is an empirical aspect to the various components of Ken's integral theory that I think, you know, for someone like me is very grounding, right? Because I can, I can sort of take the products that all of these different intellectual pursuits and artistic pursuits all throughout history have provided. I can, I get to take those on. I get to add my little sort of piece to it, my own little creativity to it. And I get to feel that expansion of the heart as I begin to recognize that like, oh, every single individual at the table has a piece of this truth. And if we can just come up with some sort of processes to to kind of pull those pieces together into a coherent vision, then man, it starts to feel like we have a really bright future ahead of us. Another thing about about the map, the integral map, is that it doesn't leave out anything essential. You know, I mean, that is sometimes we just take it for granted because we've been working with this for a long, but nothing is left out. But it's not so minutely detail oriented that you just cluttered, but all the essential things dimensionally historically and individually is is all laid out and it got it's a huge help and yeah. one of the criticisms well don't confuse the map with the territory right i was a i was a soldier then i was a wilderness guide for many years nary once did i confuse the map for being the territory <laughs> but i think my life was saved on several occasions that i could read a map and that's the way I feel about this. And as you're saying, it's also, it's a call to transform. It's not just, a, I mean, a lot of us are just, you know, we, we get into nerdism and we just get lost, but we need to come back and come back in our bodies. But if we're doing what, what, as you were saying, what the model evokes, it evokes transformation and practice and, and doing the work, but knowing what to work and how it works and how it all fits into the bigger picture. It's a heck of an accomplishment. 
No, it's beautiful. And, it, and it's totally true. You know, I, every state, whenever a new stage of development comes into sort of reality on a sort of a collective level, comes with a revolution, right? Like when we transitioned from traditionalism into modernism, that was a revolution, right? It was a real, ev- going back to the axial age, when tradi- when traditionalism came on the scene for the first time, it was a revolution. And oftentimes, revolutions are bloody and violent and painful and they create as much suffering as they as they you know are intended to deliberate right and the same with you know the 1960s when when postmodern stage came into it, it came with a revolution and there was a fire and a passion to it i think one of the things that makes integral so interesting is it feels a little bit more like an inside out revolution rather than an outside in revolution it's an ev- it's a it's a revolution that begins as a seed in the heart and expands outwards and it's a revolution that demands that like if you're going to be a part of this you got to do your work right it's not just a it's not just a lens that we can wear to see you know different aspects of our reality and pull together but It's actually telling us every step of the way that whatever lens we're trying to enact our reality through, that lens itself changes as we change. As we grow and develop and awaken, that in turn shapes our perspectives of the world, which is why, you know, often in the, in sort of the integral and integral adjacent space, we use, we use phrases like sense making. And I think sense making is tremendously critical right now because nothing makes any sense, right? And I think this gets at the point you were making, Roger, and just in terms of knowledge itself is so fractured and fragmented. And particularly when it's taking place on these, you know, totally flat postmodern social media platforms like Facebook and YouTube and Twitter, all of which are just further kind of breaking our reality part into a billion pieces. And it gets harder and harder to know how to, again, pull those pieces back together. Integral does that. But it demonstrates that it's not enough to sort of look at reality out there and try to make sense of it if we're not also regarding our inner reality and doing the work to, you know, figure out where our blind spots are, figure out, you know, what to do with our traumas, figure out how to, you know, truly awaken and grow and thrive in an anti-fragile way in a world that, you know, is becoming increasingly complicated, complex and disruptive. Yes, and you implied something there that I really want to draw out, Corey, because it seems so important, and that is one of the responses to the overwhelming complexity of our time is, as we were talking about before, a kind of siloing of information and, and specialties. Yeah. But another is reductionism, the, yeah. the attempt to explain things in terms of one or just a couple of simple fundamental processes ignoring the way in which all things are interconnected. The Buddhists would say everything co-arises in interdependent origination. Complexity theory would say, or or systems theory would say, all the elements of a system are are an interacting whole. To understand the whole, you need to both understand the parts and the whole. So one response, and it's a cognitively, intellectually, it's a very easy one to understand, is just say, try and reduce all this complexity to one or two simple causes. But one of the beauties of integral is it acknowledges multiple fundamental, multiple causes, and the and honors the sheer complexity of the interactions, which, as you said, 
you know, our world is seems overwhelmingly complex at the moment. And from in one response to that is just a sense of despair. It's hopeless. Yeah. We can't can't handle it. But for those of us who all of us who have a developmental perspective who realize that as the research is very clear, we can develop to throughout a lifespan lifespan into ways of being and understanding and cognizing that are capable of comprehending more and more complexity and making more sense of it. For those of us who have that orientation, this complexity is a, of the world is a call to develop, and which is one, of, I think you're implying, is one of the central calls that Integral offers us, that Integral Map and Model and Life Work of Ken Wilber offers us. 100% totally agree with that, Roger. You know, one of the things that I think has always been interesting to me is seeing there's almost a symmetry of the kinds of tensions and conflicts that we find in the world. And they often seem to correspond to, you know, some of Ken's major sort of distinctions and differentiations that he's made in his work. You know, really, Ken's work, it's interesting because Ken has obviously books that are like, you know, huge books, like you could use them for home defense, right? These massive, like 30 pound <laughs> books. Um, so there's a lot of complexity in his book. And yet his work itself really does represent a simplicity on the other side of a lot of complexity. And that doesn't mean that doesn't, you know, that that's not to say that integral itself can't be, you know, fairly complex and heavy lifting. It certainly can be, but there's ways of enacting it where I think we can see some elegant simplicity kind of weaving through it all. You know, really, ultimately, Ken's model is kind of constructed from just a handful of polarities, right? And polarity is something we like to talk about in integral in integral parts. Those polarities would include, you know, off the top of my head, individual and collective, interior and exterior, part and whole, emptiness and form. Well, those are those are basically the main ones. Those are the main ones where you can get, you know, sort of the broad strokes of of Ken's model just by sort of considering those polarities. And what's interesting to me is we see whenever we see conflict either in a single field or a conflict between fields, it's usually sort of arranged around those polarities, whether we're talking politics or, you know, different competing theories of art or how we generate meaning for ourselves or, or what have you. There's always this, this tension between the individual and the collective, a tension between subjectivity and objectivity, between, you know, having multiple parts running around the world versus, aspiring towards a different kind of wholeness that pulls those parts together. And it's clear that, you know, our reality is running on these parameters. And so these are the parameters that we should be tracking in sort of all the various fields that we might be engaged in. And it's been interesting to me to see that symmetry. Like, you know, Ken will talk about, you know, the four different kinds of art interpretation. So here's four different schools within a single field that are conflicting with each other around the exact same polarities that we see elsewhere when we see, you know, sort of the mind-body problem, for example. Everything is, you know, just physical body. No, everything is, you know, subjective and, and, and interior, and that's where all of our meaning is, is sort of constructed from the inside out. Well, both of these are true, and Ken's model sort of gives us these critical universal distinctions that I think helps us make sense of and better understand the kinds of conflicts that we find out there in the world. I have a question. We've been around the integral movement. I'm never sure what it is. A bunch of words apply to what it is. I just call it a project. It seems the most open-ended. Nice. I like that. 
And there may be some people that are listening to these ideas for the first time and their minds are kind of getting blown. It's like, you know, just like we all were in the beginning. Where would you recommend for people to start the journey? Yeah. Well, I mean, first off, this podcast, I think, is 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 wonderful in terms of creating an on-ramp for people. And I think with this podcast, what you guys are doing, you're not, you're not like bogging people down with the jargon and the terminology and all that, you know, quadrants and levels and lines, you know, all, all that stuff. But I think you're doing, again, it's sort of an inside out approach. I mean, it feels like what you guys are doing with this series is leading with an integral heart and sort of allowing that to draw people into the, just the general spirit of integral. And I think, you know, what you guys are doing is absolutely fantastic. So I recommend people check out more of this podcast. Second, my podcast, <laughs> right? I would suggest people check out integrallife.com where we have a ton of resources really for any level of engagement. Like if you're brand new to integral, I've got a I've got a page you can check out that'll describe the stages of development that uses film clips and video games as an example, just as a way of making this material as accessible and really as intuitive as possible. Because, you know, there's a difference between reading a book and learning some new theory and trying to, you know, understand these new terminologies and all that versus looking at these, you know, works of art and entertainment that we're surrounded by that are common reference points for all of us and being able to narrow in on a particular scene and say, oh, this really just kind of nails the modern, what we call orange, for example, stage of development. There's just a spirit of this stage that like these three film clips really kind of nail in an interesting way. And, you know, as a way to sort of appeal to younger generations, we did the same thing with video games. So you know, on this page, I had, I think we went through like 33 different video games and used them to illustrate some of the, the primary qualities that we tend to see at each of these stages. And it's amazing how easily it kind of it maps onto this and in turn deepens my appreciation and enjoyment of these works of art. So that's an example of the kind of resource that we that we make available on integrallife.com. We we have a bunch of really great summaries. Another one is if you go to integrallife.com homepage, you'll see a link for a free course, which we call Build Your Integral Life. And this is another one that's going to run you in a very friendly and accessible way. It's going gonna, it's gonna to run you through some of the main lenses that we use at Integral Life. So it's sort of like a secret decoder ring so you, so you can make sense <laughs> of the rest of the content that we do on the site. Yeah, and many of us have this, when we first grokked Integral, it was the light bulb, major light bulb moment in our lives. And mm -hmm. when I was a born-again Integralist, I discovered uh, sexicology, spirituality, and I would sit up at night, you know, ooh, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> you got to see this. And she'd put the pillow over her head and say, please leave me alone. And it, it, really, <laughs> it really shifted everything. And yeah. I'd have a spiritual direction in my life since I was very young, around 11 years old, I had my first boom experience of God. But Integral definitely helped me understand what I'd gone through and showed me what I needed to still do. Yeah, And that, that the journey was ongoing and uh, that we live in, in very interesting times. So, uh, yeah. My, my path was very parallel to yours, John. I'm not sure when, you know, what, how old you were when you got turned on to this stuff, because I do think 
you know, when it happens in terms of our life stages, probably, you know, influences what direction we take with it. For me, I was, I was really young. I mean, I was, I was 19 years old when I had my first spiritual experience implosion. I, you know, I was just talking to Mark Fischler about this actually in one of our integral justice warrior programs. You know, my first spiritual experience was not pleasant. <laughs> it wasn't like love and light and connection and all that. It was kind of implosive. It was, you know, sort of apocalyptic in a certain kind of way in terms of my own interiors. And it reminds me, you know, Ken, when he's talking about the shift into integral consciousness, he, he uses two phrases for it, which he borrows, I think, from Maslow, maybe also from Graves. But there's a momentous leap into integral. That's one way of phrasing it. There's also a catastrophic leap into integral. And that's what it felt like for me. It felt when I had my first spiritual experience, it felt catastrophic because everything I ever thought I knew about myself in the world was just like poof. It was, it was, it was kind of vaporized. And I had to come back to, you know, figuring out first principles again. And I feel incredibly fortunate that I was 19 years old after having that experience. It only took me six months to discover my first Ken Wilber book. And for me, that, that's where the love affair began. It, it was love at first read, I guess. You know, I remember I was in Barnes and Noble and I saw the book title, Brief History of Everything. I was like, what kind of arrogant ass is going to write a book with the title, Brief History of Everything? And I pull it off and I look at the picture on the back of Ken Wilber, just looking like Superman on chemotherapy. And I was just like, okay, that guy, that guy could probably get away with it. And I picked up that book and I read it and I was just so, I don't know, it felt like I was able to put myself back together after being just completely exploded prior by this spontaneous Satori experience I had. So that was where my, my love affair with Ken began. And I was at a point in my life where, you know, I'm figuring out who I am, what I want to be when I grow up. I'm 45 years old. I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> But there was something that clicked and I was like, I need to be involved with this guy and whatever it is he's doing. So I made the decision to move out to Colorado, geez, 22 years ago now, year 2000, and through a sort of magic carpet ride of synchronicities, found myself working at the bridal shower for Marcy Wilbur, his ex-wife, who's now married to Stuart Davis, totally accidentally, just like happened to be working in a bridal shower and then went up to Ken's house and catered his wedding. It was like all these experiences just kind of started stacking up and aligning. And before I knew it, I was, you know, working with the guy, basically sorting through emails way back in early 2003 as this new Intergold Naked thing is about to launch. And I've been here ever since. And I, you know, I often, every once in a while, I like to send Ken just a little love letter just to let him know, you know, how much he means to me. And, you know, he's family at this point. He's, he's, Express so much love and care for me and for my family, particularly when our family was going through some difficult, you know, challenges. He's just always been fully available to me. So I send him a letter every now and again, and I tell him, I was like, Ken, in a certain way, it feels like I don't know how else to describe it other than this feels like a vow. I feel like I took a vow at some point in my life without even knowing it, and it was a vow to dedicate myself to this work. And you know, to an extent to you personally, though, we don't really have that sort of guru student relationship going on, but just, there's just this, this personal connection that I feel with him. Yeah. So the, the following 20 years, I've been sort of in service to, to this work and trying to unpack. And, you know, Ken gave us, I feel like beautiful sort of meta theoretical skeletal system for us to work with. And now it's our job 
to start putting meat on the bones and figuring out how to apply this in the world in ways that, again, it always to me comes back to reducing suffering for the most people as quickly as we possibly can. So that, that, that was sort of, you know, my own kind of, you know, how my, my sort of allegiance and loyalty to the integral vision as a whole, that's kind of how it emerged for me. And I'm thankful because I feel like Ken's work saved me from all sorts of, I don't know, new age, spiritual, dark alleys <laughs> where I'd get mugged in the middle of the night by some shady guru somewhere. I feel like he, he rescued me from, from a lot of that and gave me you know, a path to figuring out who I was and actually becoming myself. And you use the word vision there, Corey, which feels very appropriate because it feels like what Integral does is it offers a, a vision and a vision which is unique in its scope, encompassing scope and the richness and of its potential integration among yeah. different disciplines and fields and, way, and ways that make sense of so much of our contemporary knowledge glut. And visions have power. And visions, and it seems like you're describing beautifully what I think many of us have felt that when we grok to use John's term, when we saw the saw the richness and potential and scope of this vision, it has a visions have a certain power. They call, they evoke, they 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 want to be lived into and expressed and fulfilled. And, and I think that's what a number of us have felt. We've been so touched by the by the scope and beauty and good, true and beautiful nature of this vision that it has called us. And we have wanted to play our little part in, in contributing to it and filling it out, as you said, or putting meat on the bones. And, and also love what you keep coming back to, that it's in the service of something way beyond ourselves. It's yeah. fundamentally about, about whatever we extent we can contributing to the alleviation of suffering. And I would compliment that by saying the alleviation of suffering and the fulfillment of, of the good of, yeah. uh, of, of the beautiful and to the enhancement of well-being. And it, in its way, it's one expression of the Buddhist Bodhisattva aspiration, the, uh, the aspiration to, to mature ourselves, to grow ourselves, to heal and hold ourselves so as to be optimal instruments of, for the welfare and awakening of others. I think you said that very, very beautifully. So did you just now. <laughs> no, amen. Stay tuned for part two with Corey DeBow, myself, and Roger Walsh. If you like what you've heard so far, it gets hotter, it gets better. Stay tuned. Today's episode was brought to you by iWake Technologies. Visit the Deep Transformation website to find out more about iAwake's audio tools designed to wake us up, grow us up as a part of our daily deep transformational practice. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Deep Transformation podcast, and we greatly appreciate your comments, suggestions, and questions. Thank you for all you are and all you do. From John, Roger, and the Deep Transformation team.